0: Bolt your windows and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers' Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Lori Strode has just found her friend Annie dead, and I forgot to include a bit from the novelization last minute. This should have been there. See, Annie did not simply have her throat cut in the novelization. Lori finds her... well, it goes like this. Quote, Lori opened the door two inches farther and stuck her head into the bedroom. She took in more and more of the figure on the bed, the feet, the knees, the thighs, the pubic hair, the pelvis, the... the belly slit from waist to throat. The intestines spilled out on the bed linens. The gash across the throat splashed blood. The white, bloodless face of Annie. A silent scream on her mouth. The lucid horror of doom in her wide eyes. And behind her head, a tombstone. The tombstone said, Our beloved daughter, Judith Margaret Myers. There were dates, but Laurie did not read them because things happened too fast from that moment on. She heard her own scream and realized in an instant that whatever it was that had slaughtered her best friend must be here, near, waiting for her. Laurie Lori is backed into a corner next to a dark doorway as this minute begins. The open doorway out of the room is to the right, a cabinet to the left. The movement to come is mapped for us in this shot. As minute 77 begins, we see Annie on the bed again, then second four, back to Lori. A new angle. A closer angle. That dark doorway dominates the frame. Second five, a click. Lori turns to see. Second six from the script. Suddenly something drops down at her from above. Lori jumps back to the door. Lori's POV, Bob, strung up to the light fixture on the ceiling. Dangling there in the middle of the room is Bob, eyes open and staring. That isn't quite how it goes in the film, of course. It is Bob, swinging down from... something? His eyes are open. His mouth is closed. In a novelization, not so much. Quote, It was then that she caught sight of Bob suspended by the throat from a rope tied around a ceiling fixture, his tongue purple and bloated, dangled idiotically from swollen lips, and bloody gore spilled from a fist-sized hole in his abdomen. End quote. Lori screams, second eight. Lori backs out of the frame to the left. Second nine, she has found another corner, next to a cabinet door. Seconds eleven to thirteen, Bob swings. Second fourteen, the music calms a little. Lori's screaming turns to whimpering. In the script, she leaves the bedroom. Interior, second floor hallway. Lori backs out of the bedroom. Her mouth is open in speechless horror. Suddenly a door next to her slowly opens. There is Linda, standing there, propped up by a chair staring at her with glazed, dead eyes. Again, the novelization goes even further. Quote, Lori's legs seemed to melt beneath her, and her will to flee flowed out of them as if released by a spigot. The time it took her to turn seemed like a week, but as she did pivot, a closet on her right opened, revealing Linda, propped up in a chair, nude. From the neck down, unlike Annie and Bob, her body was unmarred, but her neck and face were livid with broken blood vessels as if some stupendous force had squeezed all her blood up into her head until the pressure had burst every capillary in her skin. Her red eyes all but bulged out of her head on their stalks, and her tongue slavered over her lower lip like a mongoloid's. quote. Second 17, Lori runs out of the frame to the right. She takes a while to get out of the room, so let's cut to an IMDb goof. At around 1 hour 16 minutes, when Lori investigates the upstairs bedroom of the Wallace residence, she pushes the door wide open before finding the bodies of Annie, Linda, and Bob. When she runs out into the hallway in shock, the door is only partially ajar. The problem with this one is that Michael has just made Bob drop into view on cue, made a cabinet door open on cue, and Lori took a couple seconds too long to get out of the room. At the start of this minute, we saw how close the cabinet, the door where Bob is, and the door out of the room are to one another. Her delay might not just be a mistake of editing, but also may point to why this goof could be wrong. Maybe Michael also made this door close a little. We should actually be less concerned with the door's position, and more concerned with how Michael makes all this happen when he isn't even in the room. Second 22. Lori backs away from the bedroom. She turns slowly away. And second 24 has got to see the production lighting, and that cannot be good under these stressful circumstances. So one more time, Lori Strode backs into a corner. Second thirty, close on Lori, and she starts to slide down the wall. The novelization stretches this moment, and it gets a little silly. Quote, If Lori was screaming now, the pounding fear in her brain made it impossible for her to hear it. For someone whose experience of horror had been limited up to that moment to the sight of small animals run over on the highway, The load on her circuits was tantamount to sending a million volts through a wire designed to carry a hundred. What prevented her from passing out at that instant she did not know, but a voice inside her brain demanded that she take measures to survive. And she concentrated on it, despite every instinct, to submit to blind panic. At the same moment that she came to this conclusion, she saw a shadow, dark and dreadful, looming up in the flicker of the jack-o'-lantern. She knew it was the man who'd been dogging her steps that day, and she knew that he expected her to drop backwards so that he could catch her off balance. So she did something illogical, and it saved her life. She ducked. She dropped to her haunches as he lunged for her, his hands swiped at her neck as he tripped over her shoulder, grabbing and tearing the arm of her blouse. But he got no more of her than that. But now she had a bigger problem, for he'd sprawled on the landing. Blocking her way down the stairs, he grunted and rose to his feet slowly, almost casually. He had her cornered, and it was just a matter of closing the gap. He reached into his belt and drew out a huge knife clotted with blood. Lori backed away, wondering if she could lure her attacker away from the stairs, but as he advanced on her, he kept his body between her and the landing. Like a computer, her brain assessed the possibilities. She could retreat into the bedroom and try to bar the door. Too chancy. She could flee into another room. That was no safer. Or she could dive over the stairway railing and take her chances with the drop. That's what it had to be. She glanced over the rail and estimated it to be eight or ten feet to the first floor. She braced for the leap just as he was bracing for his. She sprang, placing her hand on the rail as if it were a gymnastic horse, and boosted her legs over it. For a second, she clutched the railing. His grip was tremendously strong, but he was in an awkward position. Trying desperately to hold her with his left hand, he swiped at her with the knife in his right, but it grazed her arm, and he released her. She tried to make her feet land squarely on the steps below, but her right foot caught one step poorly, and a sharp pain shot up her ankle. Her right arm burned where the tip of his knife had caught her. As she clutched it, she felt the wetness of blood. End quote. And to the script, as we're coming up on two of the more iconic visuals of the film, first. Angle on Lori. Corner. Lighting effect. Lori shrinks back into a dark corner. She can only stare in horror at the sight of her friend. Second thirty-six, she stops herself, grabbing at the wall and the door frame. Second thirty-seven, suddenly we are aware of something there in the dark corner. It is almost as if our eyes have suddenly begun to adjust to the darkness and we see the outline of a man standing right behind her. The outline becomes more and more clear. It is the shape wearing the mask. And the script says the butcher knife in his hand gleaming right behind Lori. This visual, of course, was done very simply with a simple dimmer switch on the light, slowly illuminating the mask. And the shot was echoed in reverse in the 2018 Halloween. Nice callback. This is the kind of scene that everyone remembers. And this is the kind of scene you can't... When you're watching, this is where the audience reacts. They're like, look behind you, it's behind you. It's been a long time since I've seen... A good horror film with a good horror film audience that does that. By second 39, Lori has stood up again. Second 40, Lori moves away from the corner. The shape lunges out at her. Second 42, Michael raises the knife. Close shot, Lori's back. Second 43, the knife slices down the left sleeve of Lori's blouse. In the script, the hand grasps a piece of Lori's blouse and rips it, like in the novelization. Also second 43, close shot, Lori. She screams and spins around. The version from the script. Angle on shape. He stands there, holding up the piece of material, then raises the butcher knife and moves for her. Angle on Lori. Camera moves with her as she backs away, screaming at the top of her lungs. Angle on shape. He lunges at her suddenly with the knife. Angle on Lori. Top of staircase. The knife slices across her arm, ripping her flesh. Lori suddenly jumps backward, raising her arm instinctively. Angle on railing. Lori bumps back into the railing. Angle on shape. He lunges again with the knife. Angle on Lori, she leaps backward to avoid the blade, and slips over the edge of the railing. IMDb goof time. At around 1 hour 17 minutes, just after Lori, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, is slashed on her left arm by Michael's knife, she turns around screaming, then falls backward over the stair railing to the landing below. If you watch closely, when the camera shows her falling over the railing with her legs pointed upward, a harness with a rope attached can be seen around Jamie Lee Curtis's left wrist slash arm as to prevent her from really falling down to the first floor. In the 24th Anniversary Commentary track, Jamie Lee Curtis specifically describes how Krishna Rao, second assistant cameraman, and a key grip in the end credits, that's Dylan Shepard, were there to keep her from actually falling. She doesn't explain how that worked, just that they were there. Second 45, Lori falls over the railing and there is indeed some sort of line or strap attached on the opposite side of her, visible briefly on the other side of her left leg as it rises in the air. Second 46, Lori's POV. Camera plunges down from the second floor and slams into the floor. And slowing it down for this minute-by-minute format, it becomes obvious that the camera barely does anything at all. Pointed down at the stairs, it doesn't even complete a circle. Second 47. We hear Lori hit the stairs before we see it. Angle on Lori. She bumps down a few steps. Second 48, she hits the floor and rolls over, holding her leg painfully. Cut to Michael rounds the railing to the top of the stairs. Second fifty, the low notes kick in in the soundtrack. Second fifty-three, Lori looks up from the bottom of the stairs. Second fifty-four, POV Staircase, one of the most famous shots in horror film history. The shape moves to the top of the staircase and starts down toward her. Second 56, Angel and Lori. She pulls herself up off the floor and hobbles into the living room. She doesn't quite make it to the front door as this minute ends. That is all for Minute 77. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk me on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram Michael Myers Minute. Or join our Facebook listeners group, 45 Lamkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time.